Welcome to the PowerCat Podcast, GoPowerCat.com's Kansas State Athletics Show. Make sure you're subscribing to our show at Apple, Spotify, Amazon, or wherever you get your podcasts. Now, from the GPC studios, here's your host, GoPowerCat publisher, Tim Fitzgerald. Welcome to another edition of the PowerCat Questions podcast sponsored by Fridge Wholesale Liquor. I am your jolly host. Trying to think of the right word. Jolly? I'll be jolly today. Oh, oh, oh. Tim Fitzgerald, Zach Carlson, Cole Carmody, and Ryan Gills Gilbert. Put a little mustard on that hot dog. Is it a right sandwich? Here, right in the <laughs> <laughs> wrong podcast. That will be in the other podcast, I suspect, as it is every year. Every year. Is hot dog a sandwich? Is it? Is it? No, it's delicious. Quit putting it in a little box that it's a sandwich. Delicious. It's like a full meal. Anyhow, that's the overtime. That comes later in the week. This is the questions podcast, and this is how it works. I have to explain this every week because we have so many new listeners that might not know where we're getting these questions. You have to be a VIP at GoPowerCat.com and ask the questions in our thread at Wabash Station, our premium message board. If you're not a subscriber, probably a good time to do it. I have a sense that uh, football and basketball are going to be a little bit fun in the future. You might want to be part of the family. So head on over there. Click the little green box that says join. Pretty easy. Green on purple. It's easy to see. And sign up at gopowercat.com. But as I mentioned, we're sponsored by The Fridge. And The Fridge just sent me a notification because I have the app on my phone. Now, look, I'm not going to judge you if you have a liquor store app on your phone because I do. So make sure you download The Fridge app. If you're in Manhattan or ever come to Manhattan and like to shop at the fridge as much as many of us do, they just send me a notification that it's margarita season. And you need to stop by the fridge and buy your tequila. Ryan, uh, what is the most popular tequila at the joint where you work that I can't mention right now? To shoot? That's the only thing I do with it. I would say Camarina. Is that like a dance? Uh, Camarina. <laughs> Um, but, uh, yeah, they've got a wide variety of tequilas. And if you think Patron is top shelf, you might want to talk to one of the experts at the fridge. They will get you to the top shelf really quickly because there are actually some pretty darn good tequilas above that. Stop in the fridge whenever you're in Manhattan. We appreciate their ongoing support of the Powercat podcast. And now it's on to your questions from Wabash Station. I think Gills has got this first half. I've already forgotten because I talked too much. You're correct. And uh, let's bring it on, Gills. Do a good job. Don't screw this up, man. Oh, I'm boy. trusting Pressure's you with on. this. Okay, here we go. First one comes from RRQB21, who is, is a longtime subscriber. First time question asker. Wow. I think. I didn't go back far enough to see if we actually used a question. He did pop up in a podcast. Hold on. What was it? RRQB1? 21. 21. Okay. So, like, they're way down the depth chart. Hmm. Yeah, way down. So they're rural route quarterback 21. Right? Huh? Sure. Okay. So you're on a country football team and you're the 21st player on the depth chart. Got it. Let's go. All I know is they had less than 100 posts. Well, and after me was making like, fun of his name, he'd probably never post again. <laughs> what do the new quarterback offers say about K-State's chances to land Avery Johnson? I don't think there's anything. You always have to have backup plans. I'm sure my wife, when shopping for her husband, had seven backup plans when she met me. Yeah, I mean, why wouldn't you? You, you just never know what's going to happen. And you don't want to be in a situation where Avery shocks you and ends up going to Oregon or someplace else. I think they feel really confident about Avery, but, yeah, you just can't put all your eggs in that basket, particularly if you're committed to getting a quarterback every year. Well, here's the thing, too. I think people are kind of losing sight of this. Um you know, we talked a lot about, oh, our offer's committable. Is this committable? Is that committable? I think for the most part, the offers that K-State gives out are committable offers. I would agree. These quarterbacks included. If one of them wants to commit, I know for a fact, um, you know, I, at least I know for a fact one of them is committable. One of the offers is committable. And if they want to commit, I think K-State would accept that commitment. Now, the question then becomes, if Avery Johnson wants to commit to K-State, are they going to <laughs> – keep that commitment from the other kid. I think they're not going to have to worry about that if that happens because if you're, you know, one of these new quarterback offers and Avery Johnson does want to come to Kansas State, then you know that you're behind Avery. 
Zach, is this a situation where if one of these other kids wants to commit, you're like, hold on, I got, I got a call on the other line. Hey, Avery, you got to commit soon or you're going to lose your spot. I don't think so okay. on these guys. I think it's just like, well, like we've mentioned, just some insurance, you know, just in case you don't get Avery. That yeah, you need to have a quarterback in your class, and you know I don't think that this is necessarily a tell of of anything on what they think their chances with Avery are, but you know he's still undecided, and you have to have your just in case options. But and you have a story going on these quarterback offers that will appear later today at Go Powercat. It's up now. It's been well. I, I it's up I, now. I've talked about them well, what last day, week. What what day is are we talking about, and what day are we recording? This now this came out. I, I had a chance to talk to both of these quarterbacks actually, and I think that was published on Saturday. Oh, or that Sunday. One. Yeah. What What do you have in the hopper for? There's an, a bunch of offers that have gone out. Okay, so more offers. Little, yeah. okay. But, Not about this specific. No, but, I, I'm so lost. I can't even keep track. There's football's put out so many offers right. recently. It's it's kind of mind numbing, and we can talk about that. But Gills, Avery brings on a different level here, though. I mean, even if he's comparative talent to these guys, and these other quarterbacks are good. Don't you know, don't go wrong here. But Avery might be the keystone to opening up all of Kansas recruiting, right? I agree. Thank you. There's my analysis. Uh, Fitz, I, I want to mention this. Why do I try to include him? I don't know. <laughs> Tried your best. I, I, I want to mention this. Okay. Because we can, we can sit here and talk about backup plans, mm-hmm. um, but these two kids that were offered by K-State, they're not just backup plans. Like, this is not something that it, – it's not like they're getting offered by, you know, South Dakota State and uh, Army and Navy and New Mexico State and K-State is their only Power 5 offer. Like, to me – that would be a backup plan, right? Something you know that if this does not work out with Avery, this kid will be here. Mm-hmm. I'm not convinced that both of these kids will be here because um, I'm, I'm just going to say the names. It's on Twitter, so it's out there if you really want to find it, as long as that's acceptable by mm-hmm. Mr. Fitzgerald. Aiden, Ch- Aiden Childs and Lincoln Keenholes. Power five offers. Um, so this is not like K-State is going to just be able to come in and say, oh, well, we're going we're gonna to win this recruiting battle easy, right? That's that's not the case. We've seen before. You go back and look at a kid like Jacob Knuth, um, who ended up going to Minnesota. A bunch of people thought was going to be K-State bound, a quarterback in the class of 2022, right? This is not something that K-State has continuously been able to beat out Power 5 competition at the quarterback position. So um, it's not like these kids are just backups. I, I firmly believe that they're on the board. Um, are they on the board two and three? I don't know. You know, if, if you say Avery's the number one, are they the number two and three options? I don't know. Um, I think if you lose Avery, then they probably jump to the number one option, but that doesn't mean they're the number two option right now, if that makes any right. sense. No, I get it. Aiden Childs is a six foot four, 195 pound quarterback out of Downey, California. And it's very intriguing. All of his other offers or serious schools are Pac-12 schools. He is coming to K-State to visit on June 17th. I almost said 27th. I don't know how I got there. Uh, Lincoln Keenholz, what an interesting name, 6'3", 185 out of Pierre, South Dakota. Um, He has some non-Power 5 offers in there, but Illinois and Minnesota are also in there. Very intriguing, though. I, I know that K-State is just uh, kind of cover the basis. They want a quarterback in every class, and they want it to be Avery Johnson. And if it's not, they'll get a quarterback. From claws out, balls out. So here comes another locket. Let's set the over-under on how many games Sterling plays this year at four and a half. No, under. I think I Sterling is a redshirt. I think he's the one locket. I don't. I don't remember if the other lockets redshirted. No. I know that Tyler did not redshirt, but I think he probably becomes the first one to to no, sit out I, for a year. Honestly, I can't remember Kevin. I don't think Aaron did. I don't know. I I don't. I think he's the least ready to play the lockets, um, just based on his physical makeup. Not that he's not ready as a player mentally or you know as a pass catcher. He doesn't have the speed of his older brother. He doesn't have the size of another type of receiver. He's kind of caught in between. Uh, and honestly, if K-State had lost some guys at receiver, you know, I, I think you might see him in the mix, but they've got enough guys at receiver with Warner back and and Phillip Brooks and Knowles and 
Garcia stepping up. They've got enough guys, and, and they won't have to lean on him. If you're talking about a true freshman to play, the first question is, is he good enough? But the second question is, do they need him to play? And they really don't need a receiver to step in and play. So when we think about the wide receiver position, I'm going to name these receivers, and I want you to tell me if he's better than any of these guys, okay? Malik Knowles, Philip Brooks, Cade Warner, Keenan Garber, who you didn't mention, R.J. Garcia, and you throw into the fact that they also got a commitment from an Ole Miss transfer, and it really begs the question, is he better than any of those guys? Not Not coming in as a true freshman, so no, I don't think so. So Which isn't saying a lot, though. (laughs) No. It's also just admitting the fact that uh, he probably needs a year in the system, um, year physically maturing. And then he'll be ready once they lose some of these guys. Well, Sterling Lockett is 18 years old. All these guys that I just named, besides RJ Garcia, are over the age of 20. Right. Right. These are grown men. These are men that are playing the wide receiver position. Sterling Lockett is still a kid. Like, let's just keep it how, let's just say how it is. Like, I think Sterling's going to be a great football player at K State, but. I think they want to keep his red shirt because there's no use in trying to have him play if he's not that much better than what you already have. How many games did RJ Garcia play last year? Because I four. think that he did play four. He was a he got he was red, red shirt. shirt. Yeah. yeah. No, I know that he red shirt. What I was saying is, did he get to his four? Because I, I was going to so. say that you know I don't really remember how much he actually played, but I was thinking not that you know, much. if he played two and three games, I think that's closer to a better measuring stick so to speak for sterling would he play more games as a freshman than rj garcia but if rj garcia plays four or played four you know that makes kind of my my point moot but my my point is you know is he good enough to see the field a lot more than what rj garcia did in those four games and i don't i don't know if he he would be i see cole's computer he played in three he games. He played in three. There we go. I was just trying to look at this up. I didn't. I'm gonna. I, I didn't think that he got. What What were the three games? Uh, I know one of them was KU. Um, I'm gonna look it up right now. I'm gonna also guess he only had like what two catches. Do you not have one the roster pulled up? Yards. Like, click on his name. West Virginia and Kansas, and West, then I believe he played in the LSU game as well. Did not record any statistics. Okay, so he played in a blowout against KU, which. I mean, I think that those three games you look at, if Sterling plays, you know, earlier in the season than that, and if he plays, you know, in the KU game, and if he's playing in meaningful conference games, I could see him maybe not playing 12, but, you know, there is a chance that he could play above that four mark. I just don't think they want to have him play more than four No, I don't think they want to. Because they're losing so much at the receiver position next year. You lose Malik Knowles, you lose Phillip Brooks, you know, and you, you have no idea what's going to happen. You lose Cade Warner as well. So you want to have your guns locked and loaded for the future. And if you think Sterling Lockett is a guy who's going to stick around and be a part of your future, there's no point in wasting a year. But you- if you look at past Lockett's, you look at Tyler Lockett, who had a good freshman year. You know, it's not like he was the only, you know, the best wide receiver on the team at that point. You still had Tremaine Thompson. You still had Chris Harper. Like, there were still good wide receivers in that group when Tyler Lockett was a freshman. So, I think that, you know, you can kind of (laughs) – jeez, Cole. (laughs) Cole almost died on the podcast. What happened? (laughs) That was an exploding cough. I don't know what happened. coughed and laughed at the the same time. I don't Lost my train of thought, but I think, I think that if you look at, you know, what RJ Garcia did last year, three games. If you see Tyler Lockett or Tyler, you see Sterling. If you see Sterling playing earlier than what RJ did, I think that says a lot about the development and the confidence that they would have in Sterling. And if you do see him early, even if it's just you know, in, against is it South Dakota, or you know, one of the Tulane, one of those early non-conference games. I think you may see, you know, I think that his red shirt would be at risk that he would play potentially five or more games. Not to take a shot at at Sterling, but if he's not a part of the Lockett family, we're not having this discussion about probably not Sterling Lockett. He's more than likely going to red shirt. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's just it's one of those guys that without that last name, he's on the fence. Yeah, he's he's on the fence, maybe a preferred walk on to be blunt. But um, the Lockett name pushes it over the edge. And honestly, the Lockett DNA. I mean, you have to see the upside that could be there that maybe Sterling is just a little bit. Huge upside. Yeah. 
and, and plus he's got twin brothers coming too that <laughs> might also be players. You, you don't want to end that train too early. But uh, I, I would be fine if they kept that train going and Tyler's children were playing at K-State. They seem to have some good genetics. They, they, they may not be the tallest genes in the world, but they're pretty good football genes there. From Recyclops, what would you grade Jerome Tang and Co.'s overall job recruiting so far? Incomplete. You know, I mean, they started off solid, but coming out of this dead period, it's going to be a month without a commitment, basically. And really nothing lingering, unless I'm wrong. Nothing lingering out there. Like, every time I've thought, oh, they've got a good shot at this kid, it hasn't worked out. they got something to prove. And uh, I'm... Still confident they'll do it, but I hope they're not so confident it doesn't get done. I, you know, I, I hope they're not just taking something for granted because I, bluntly put, I think Antoine Davis took the wind out of their sails. I think they thought they had him. They felt good about him. He'd given them good feedback, and I think they got played. I think the young man and his dad played everyone. I think this was always the plan. It's... Uh, I don't want to say it's bad. I almost admire them for what they did because it, it works so well in their favor. Dad gets to keep the best player he's he's got by far, and the family gets a bunch of money from China. Can you say it for me? China. Thank you. That's a proper way to say it now. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to approach this question as a teacher, okay? Oh because boy. it has grade. I'll go sit in, in the here. corner. Okay. I so, liked Fitz's saying incomplete. No, you didn't is, do this. You didn't do this assignment right, and I'm going to give you a chance to to yeah. become whole by the end of the semester. This is this is exactly where I'm going with this. I, I'll put it like this: You said incomplete. I'm going to say missing. Okay. I didn't know that was a possibility. There's a missing assignment in the grade book. Oh. Okay. And K State fans, the media, K State in general, we have a very nice late work policy. Okay, you guys remember when you were in school, there's a late work policy. If you turn it in late, some teachers like, nope, one day after the deadline, it's I'm only I'm only taking it for half credit or every day it's late, it's 10% off. Well, K-State fans after what they've had to go through, I feel like have a very nice late work policy. They don't take any points off. No. They don't take any points off. So, right now, Jerome Tang and company are working on their assignments that that are missing. They know that it's a little bit past the deadline. They know that their teachers, a.k.a. the fans, are a little bit frustrated that they haven't turned it in. But they also know that no matter what they turn in, it's going to be better than what the guy who turned in the last assignment did because his project was terrible. So they already know whatever they get together, whatever they turn in, even though it's going to be late. That project is going to be better than what the other student and what the other class produced because those guys were just terrible. So I think that um, right now it is a missing assignment in the grade book with a potential to have no points taken off and for everything to be forgiven once the roster is complete and they lace up their shoes and take the court at Brownridge in November. Let's hope they lace them up. What was the last project? Was it a macaroni necklace? I wouldn't even go that far. I wish I knew what that was. If they if they don't lace up their shoes, they might injure a foot. <laughs> that could be horrible. When's that happen at K-State? Only a dice. I think the reality of it at this point is thoughts of this being an Iowa State turnaround are not going to happen. They just haven't gotten those guys yet. I don't know if they're out there still. But after the last three seasons... I think we're still looking at a roster that will be comparable to last season. It it won't be the prior two seasons when they were awful. I think they'll be closer to last season. And actually, I think with better talent, at the end of the day, I think they will have higher rated recruits. But also, it'll be assembling an all-new roster, basically. And I'm I'll, again, I'll be very honest here. I'm a little nervous if they're leaning on Marquise Noel and Ish Masood to be the flag bearers. I haven't seen that from them. I know Marquise would like to be that. I feel like Marquise has the skill to be that if he can edit his game without getting so freaking touchy about someone saying, you know, he makes some bad decisions. He does over penetrate, gets in too deep, and he's either got to get his shot blocked or throw the ball away. That happened over and over. And to say that isn't a shot at him. It's a, it's a fair observation. 
And I get nervous anytime a player or a student or anyone gets so defensive they can't hear what you're saying. And maybe he just doesn't respect it coming from the media, which I'm I'm fine with that. But the fact that I saw what I saw him do at Iowa State just sticks in my brain. That clearly was not what the coach wanted. That clearly wasn't the plan. And it was clearly what he intended to do because it was best for him. That has to stop for him to be the flag bearer, the leader. Because you do that too often and you lose the faith of your teammates. He did what was best for K-State, though, in the end. He stayed? What? No. Missing the shot. Lose the game. They won. They won that game. Oh, they did win that yeah. game. He oh. actually hit a corner three like, oh. with a couple <laughs> minutes to go in overtime to like oh. seal the deal. I misremembered the games. It was a long season, I, my bad. I don't think That's that... Right. We forgive you. I don't think that all of the things that happened last season would have happened with the current staff. I just, I just don't. From the vibe that we're getting, you know, I think it's important to remember that Jerome Tang said he, he believed there were three players on the, on K state's roster last year that could help them win games in the big 12 and two of them stayed. I think we all agreed that those were probably the only three guys that were probably capable of playing in the big 12. I mean, as soon as it happened, I think I can remember sitting here saying Ishmael, Nigel back and Marquise Noel, they're the three guys who probably are good enough to play in the big 12. So I think that's a fair assessment. And I think that, um, at the end of the day, this is roster construction is going to come down to, uh, Whoever wants to come to K-State, like he's like Jerome Tang has said, he wants to get the right guys. And I think getting the right guys is more important than just getting guys in general. So it might be a tough struggle in the beginning, but I think it will pay dividends over time. Back to the, the question, fans were so ready to move on from Coach Weber that they were happy with anybody that came here. And, 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 and Tang won the press conference. He had gotten involved early with a lot of big-time recruits. So we started off really well, but... I mean, over the last month, month and a half, it's just been it's been bad. I know Fitz, you didn't want to use the word bad, but uh, that would be my grade. And, you know, Colbert and Carter are, are fabulous, um, you know, pieces to a, a greater puzzle. But you need those bigger pieces right. and they just don't have those guys yet. So it started off great. He won the press conference. But right now they're just looking for that guy. And at this point, late May, I don't know if that guy is even going to be out there. It might be a very tough year one for this staff, but once they can get those seeds planted for these high school guys, then we'll give them some more criticism if they're still struggling. But right now, obviously it's tough, um, but we'll give them time. Very good. You agree? I agree. Good. Yeah. Good. I'm glad. I'm, I'm happy. You're happy. Good. Is Zach happy? Sure. Zach. Okay. Have, Zach. A, have a call. Are you happy? Question? Of course. Okay, let's do another question now and see how happy we can get. Yes, sir. From Itame Vivi, with so little basketball recruiting news lately, I am hypothetically adding a player back to the roster. Between sophomore Nigel Pack and freshman Marcus Foster, who do you like better if you were the head coach? Uh, honestly, Marcus Foster. Marcus, is, Marcus derailed himself with personal issues. I mean, I don't like to get into it, but... I. I I'll, I'll just say this, and there's two ways to look at it, and I, I've argued both sides of this. Bruce Weber let the Marcus Foster situation fester, disrupt his locker room, and derail his program. I think that is true. But it's also true that he did right by the young man. He did everything in his power to get him help and get him back on track. And as someone in that situation – does pretty typically they resisted and pushed back they needed to experience a greater sense of loss of standing to understand that they needed help and that's what happened in the end but if somehow Marcus Foster had stayed on track hadn't derailed himself if the coach had been able to get to him and I'm just saying hypothetically maybe another coach would have been able to force it force him to face his issues and maybe the coach would have seen signs of the trouble coming earlier than what this staff, the previous staff, did. Marcus Foster is an NBA guy. He did, turned out not to be because of he just never got better after he cleaned himself up to a degree. And I, I don't think Nigel's an NBA guy. I just don't think he has the physical standing to be in the league. Nigel's a sharpshooter. 
and that's about it. He reached his ceiling already. I agree. You can't imagine what Foster would have done had he stayed on the right track. Exactly. I think Foster just has more tools. He was yeah. a more complete yep. player than what Nigel Pack was. Yeah. I think Nigel Pack's probably the better shooter, but like like you said, that's all he's really got. I was astonished when I saw Marcus at the NCAA tournament playing for Creighton against K-State that he didn't physically look much different. Because when I saw Marcus Foster as a freshman and the way he could play, I projected him as potentially Mitch Richmond. If he'd physically develop more, continue to foster his game and bring it along. But he didn't. He just kind of stayed where he was and actually regressed to some degree after his freshman season. And I'm going to answer this question and say Marcus Foster as well. But I will also say that maybe, if this is a completely hypothetical situation, Jerome Tang recruits Marcus Foster at a high school from Wichita Falls, Texas. Texas, keep in mind, the stronghold that Jerome Tang has on Texas, the stronghold that Yurik Maligi has on Texas, maybe none of that happens. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. I mean that's 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 another thing to think about, right? I mean, if we're if we're going all hypo- hypothetical here, um, we have no idea how the relationship would have developed, but you never know what happens when you have somebody who has strong connections to the state like that. And another guy like Mar- Mar- if if Marcus Foster was in the class of 2022, I think there's a good chance he ends up at K State. I would agree. And, so, and let's be blunt here. There's. There's more ingredients to this soup that went wrong than just Marcus Foster in that season. Mm-hmm. That locker room was a mess. Did Foster play a big role in the mess? Yes. But if he had found less willing participants, if he had found more guys that were bought into the program and able to steer him in the right direction, I think everything would have turned out okay. Frank Martin's locker room was great with Spradling and Southwell and all those guys in there. And then once Weber's guys kind of took over, that's when things went south. Unfortunately. Which yeah. is the harsh reality. Yep. But I'd have to go back. Foster kind of came out of nowhere, didn't he? I mean, he wasn't a highly rated recruit. He was, was a three-star. Yeah, he was. But, man, the second he saw him, you're like, oh, this guy's this guy's got something. Yeah. I mean, he was just different. He was just different. He was different than Nigel as a freshman. He was different than any other freshman I can remember, at least in the short term. From Ghost Day Kate. Oh, that guy. Insert comment. <laughs> yeah. Will Colin Klein surpass Bill Snyder's legacy by the end of his career? No. No. Will Nick Saban surpass Bear Bryant? Yes. yes. He's there. In, yeah. But in memory? I don't think so. Okay. Well, this, uh, but this brings up this, – this, this is an interesting question. There's multiple layers to this question. Yeah. Because let's say you ask my generation – or the generation maybe a little bit after me, when they think of K-State, if Colin Klein goes on, has a great success as K-State's offensive coordinator, and like you've mentioned multiple times before, maybe the NFL comes calling for Chris Kleiman, and you have your head coach in waiting right there on staff. He takes over as head coach for K-State and has success there. I, I, I'm not ready to say that. People my age or maybe a little bit younger won't say I think of when I think of K-State football, I think of Colin Klein. I'm not ready to say that. You know, this is super hypothetical, and I agree that the answer is no. Like Bill Snyder's legacy will live on for the rest of eternity. But as far as football goes, I mean, I I, I could there is a path. There is a future to where that exists. Zach, would you agree with me on this? Yes, I I take Cole's side of this that I think Colin Klein has the opportunity to do so because Bill Snyder, yes, he came in here. He resurrected the program. I mean, that is the identity of K-State football as most of us view it today. But with Colin Klein, he came in and he was a part of some of Bill Snyder's best success in his tenure at K-State. So you have a player who now is the offensive coordinator at the same institution he played. And who knows what happens over the next five seasons, 10 seasons, 20 seasons, whatever happens. At some point, I truly believe Colin Klein will leave K-State and go be a head coach somewhere. Or Chris Kleiman will leave K-State and go be a head coach somewhere else. And I think that that will set up Colin Klein to potentially be a future head coach of K-State. So I think that the fact that he has... You know what he was as a player, and he did it under Bill Snyder. And if he goes on, and if he has success, even if he just matches Bill Snyder, 
if he can get a couple of conference championships, go and win a New Year's Six Bowl. Colin Klein is almost there because he did it as a player and he did it as a coach. But this is decades down the road that we're That's talking about. That's where I was about. going. This How many years decades. does this take to get to that standing? 25. Minimum. Yeah. Okay, I'm out. <laughs> <laughs> there are so few coaches in college sports, period, that are directly the grand poobah that are, that's correlated to their school. And Bill Snyder is one of the very few. I don't see how he. I don't see how he is not K State forever and ever and ever. No, he will be. But this is just the. the but I'm not even buying. But I like what Fitz said about Nick Saban though and Bear Bryant because I would say right now, most casual college football fans don't really think about Bear Bryant, and I would argue that most Alabama fans, especially recent ones, maybe the T-shirt fans. That's. But if you live in Alabama, I don't think that right now you think. About Bear Bryant. You're thinking about Nick Saban. This is why I say this, though. Without Bear Bryant, Nick Saban isn't in a position to do what he's doing. And the same will probably be true with Colin Klein at Kansas State. Without Bill Snyder, there's nothing upon which to build your legacy. True. Until the stadium isn't named after him, it's Bill Snyder for me. And there's no hypothetical that can change that. Bill Snyder Family Stadium at Colin Klein Family Field. <laughs> what about Mr. On Wagner? On top of on top of Wagner Field, yeah. because we laid over a new surface. Yes. <laughs> With the the Lockett Family End Zone Project. <laughs> what about the Fitzgerald press box? That's just going to be the open bar. <laughs> I just all I want. It's expensive. I know. I know. You got anything else over there? Sam? I got uno more questiono. That means one more? Yes. See? Okay. Halstead Cats. He works at a taco place. It's yeah. Pregunta. Yeah. Pregunta. Asks, do you have personal memories of what made Ring of Honor recipients special during their time at K-State, either on or off the field? I remember watching Verl Schweitzer play. <laughs> I, I meant to put in new into this words because I think that's what he meant. New. What are the new ones? I remember Colin Klein. Okay, let's, do you, someone have the list? I uh, I have a brain, L. Roberson brain like Jello. L. Roberson, Colin Klein, God, yeah, Tyler Lockett, yeah, yeah, um, Arthur Brown, Arthur Brown, Arthur Brown, and there's two more. Come on, we can do this. Is it Darren Howard? Darren Sexton, Darren, Darren Howard, and Larry Brown. Not okay. the not the basketball coach. No, and impressive um, they put a KU basketball coach in the K State <laughs> football. That'll teach him. Can't wait for Bill Self in 20 years. Okay, Larry Brown is. Before me, although, do you have it open over there? I have the 1967 to 1968. Okay. So he's before me, and um, he wasn't a great K-State player. This is the most intriguing pick for the Ring of Honor yet. I know some people focused on L. Roberson because um, he didn't quite have the standing nationally or in the Big 12 of other guys that are up there. But Larry Brown was an average K-State player. He rushed for 282 yards his first year on campus in 10 games, scoring one touchdown. In his second year at K-State, he rushed for 402 yards and 111 attempts with one touchdown. Because he was a fullback. He, all, he had three total touchdowns. He had one receiving touchdown in his first year. He played two years at K-State. Right. Correct. You're right. I mean, that, nothing about that says ring of honor. No. That, everything about that says, Okay. You're John Olasitich, you know, a fullback. But this would be the equivalent of Jax Deneen going on to be one of the best running backs, not fullbacks, running backs in the NFL. A fullback at college that became a running back that went on to be the MVP of the entire league. So this selection is about what he did post-K-State, not anything to do with K-State. I'm, in, I'm intrigued by that. I'm not Doubting that, I kind of support that. He was an important figure for K-State football, along with Grogan and Dickey and Paul Kaufman, and I'm sure I'm forgetting, Clarence Scott, guys that played at K-State during leaner times, moderately successful under under Coach Gibson, but you know nothing compared to what the expectations are now. And they kind of supported the brand for many years with their presence in the league, and that's why he's picked. And so I think you make arguments for other guys based on that. Is it for a compare for a non K State comparison? Is it kind of like Gronk 
at Arizona. He wasn't amazing at Arizona. It's probably really and good. he obviously is one of the greatest tight ends of all time. That's a that's a perfect example. Yeah. So that one's really intriguing to me. The best player on that list for me is Darren Howard. And I love Colin Klein. Darren Howard was so far ahead of his time as what we now see as an edge rusher. And he became more of a NFL style big DN, three-man front, 300-pound guy. But when he came to KC, I remember the first time I saw him, I'm like, dude, eat a sandwich. I mean, I don't know what he weighed, but he was a DN, and he, he was skin and bones. And I mean, he looked like Nate Matlack. He, and he mentioned that, that when he, we had him do an evaluation of Matlack. He looked like Nate Matlack physically in terms of structure, but he kept getting bigger and bigger and bigger and maintaining his speed and being able to be incredibly disruptive off the edge. He was amazing. He would, and he had a long NFL career. Arthur Brown is my favorite K-State football player ever. He just, he just maximized everything he had. I mean, I remember watching him play and wanting to play linebacker because of him. Like, he he was that good. And um, I, my favorite memory, again, this is this is me as a, as a fan, as a kid watching K-State football, has got to be the interception against Robert Griffin III. Right. I mean, that's what you think of. Um, that that whole generation. And another guy I want to mention um, is Trey Walker. He's not in, obviously involved in the, the Ring of Honor, but I think of Trey and I think of Arthur Brown because those two guys, um, not at the exact same time, but the same era. Um, and I knew Trey because of uh, he went to my alma mater. And so I watched him play since I was like seven years old. And I knew him very well. Way to make Trey feel old. Yeah. And um, so I think that generation of, of – they played similar, very similar type. They played the same position, but played very similar. And I think Arthur Brown took that linebacker position and just m- m- he maximized every single right. inch he had because he was not that tall. But he played the way he played was just it was just remarkable. He was he's not that kind of uh, football scholar that you normally would see at that linebacker position, along with like quarterbacks. He's in a he really isn't a football guy. He always talked about cooking. He, he talked about not watching the NFL. So pre-snap, he was probably a D plus. Honestly, he was not good pre-snap reading defenses. Thank God for Ty Zimmerman. Uh, people don't realize it. Ty was making sure everyone in front of him was lined up right and playing a big role in that. Post-snap, Arthur Brown was an A plus. He was the best instinctive linebacker uh, I've seen in the more modern era of K-State. I mean, you want to talk instincts. I mean, Gary Spaney, Brooks Barta, Mark Seminoe, those guys were all up there. But Arthur just had this ferocious mentality about him that was unmatched post-snap. And his inability to read offenses and kind of get lined up right haunted him in the NFL. But, yeah, he belongs in the ring. I just remember that 2009 game against Texas where Colin Klein comes out and he's magically the starter and they just run all over Texas. That was incredible. That is one of my favorite games that I've watched at K-State. And I'm still, as I sit here to this day, I can't explain how Mac Brown and his coaches didn't make adjustments at (laughs) halftime. Let's go out and try the same thing again. And he just threw the ball four times the entire game. Sophomore year? Yeah. It was his really first game he played. So K-State, Texas 2010? Is that right? I believe so. Sorry? 2010? Oh, yeah. You're right. Let's see. Is that right? Colin Klein threw the ball. He was two, yes. for, two for four right. with nine yards. Two thousand, sorry, not 2009, 2010. My and bad. Daniel Thomas was the reading, leading receiver. He had two receptions two for nine two, yards. Two of the running back. Yeah. What Do you have Colin's running stats in that game? 25 carries for 127 yards and two touchdowns. K-State was outgained by Texas, 412 to 270, but they won 39 to 14. They just used him as a battering ram. That's incredible. And the and the defense just made some big plays. It <laughs> they was, were thirty nine to nothing in the third quarter. Casey was winning. It was incredible. Colin special. Colin was so special. He he he's so perfect for Adrian Martinez as a coach because they're so comparable. And Adrian's a better thrower. <clears throat> he's a better runner. He's a better yeah. He's you a better know, athlete. He's a better. So maybe if Colin can communicate, <clears throat> excuse me, can communicate how to how to do things in a more efficient manner, that makes sense. 
Adrian will clean up his game, make fewer turnovers, make better decisions running, when to run, you know, how to feel the space. I'm intrigued by it. One, there's one more guy. I feel like we lock it. Oh, he's pretty good. <laughs> pretty good. Yeah, he's he's pretty good. Maybe he was the best. And L, we didn't talk about L. L, L just was a member of the was the cornerstone as a quarterback. I mean, he had Darren Sproles, but the quarterback gets the glory. When you break through and win a Big 12 title. Is this the best Ring of Honor class that they've had? Uh, I couldn't. I wouldn't be able to compare it, but I doubt it. I mean, you, when you go back to it's, the early classes. Well, it's got to be. A, I mean, the last one was uh, Bishop, Nelson, Clarence Scott, Darren Sproles. Yeah, that, that was. Oh, yeah, that was pretty good. <laughs> but I would say this one's probably number two. So you guys will make fun of me for this. The number changes every year. Or is it always six? No, it changes. It changes. Okay. Just, it, okay. Well, it's not even like spaced out evenly either. Like they There's did no rhyme. 2002, then they did uh, 2008, then they did 2015. Now we're at 2022. And they want to get, you got to be five years out. So that got the 2017 guys all kind of spilled in. So, or so. I can't remember how that works. There's no 2017 guys. I'm on crack cocaine, here, though. I'm doing the crack cocaine. Thank you. Okay. Maybe it's longer than maybe it's ten years they want. I don't know. What was Lockett's last year? It was definitely 14? not twenty seventeen. It was twenty fourteen. Oh, but this is the first when this is the first class past that. Yeah, it's the first one since two thousand fifteen. Right, right. So these guys all that's what I'm trying to say, I think. I don't know what I'm trying to say. Let's go to break. I'll try to figure out what to say. We got a whole nother half of this. A shorter half, I'm told. Because this was a long half. It just was. It's the way Zach planned it. It's all Zach's fault. We'll be back. I'm going to run to the fridge. I need to drink. GoPowerCat.com's PowerCat podcast continues after this short break. Welcome back to the PowerCat podcast. Now, let's return to the GPC studios. Welcome back to the PowerCat Questions Podcast, sponsored by The Fridge. Wholesale liquor at the corner of this and that in the town in which we live. We love them. We love them. We love them. What more can I say? I mean, I could talk about products. It's just it's just a great place to go shopping. They got experts. They got selection. They got prices. A convenient location, particularly if you want to pick up some tacos or get your car washed. Does The Fridge carry club special? I don't think Club Special is on the market yet. Mm-hmm. I'm currently sampling a product. And unlike the taco place, you can actually go in and buy stuff at the fridge. <laughs> the taco place close, closes earlier than the liquor store. <laughs> the hell? What's going on on the west side of town? We're going to hell over here. We got no food. We're all going to starve to death. Here's your question from Wabash Station. I think Cole's taking over. I do. First question in the second half comes from Eric Schneid. If a new quote-unquote named rivalry game like Sunflower Showdown or Farmageddon between K-State and any other any of the other Big 12 schools, existing or new schools, were to start, what school are you picking, what do you call it, and what's the trophy? Should be an overtime question. That's my no, It's about K-State. It's about K-State. I like it, though. True. I like it. TCU. And you got to use, like, the Royal Rumble because it's purple. Probably trademarked. Yeah. Something purple related, royalty. And I think TCU and K State are just natural rivals. Just, I mean, part of it's the purple, but part of it's they had a longtime coach that was a K Stater, too. I want to see. I've, I think I've said this before. It's not one rivalry game, but do a land grant, land grant cup. That's what I would call it. You have West Virginia, uh, Oklahoma State, K State, Iowa State. And you make like a, a a trophy that's like like Kansas's wheat. I do like oil for Oklahoma, corn for uh, Iowa, and then coal for West Virginia. So coal is going to be on the coal is going to be on the trophy. I don't understand. Why would you put this guy? Why not put Gills on for K State then? Yeah. <laughs> <clears throat> but do those resources? It'd be kind of like a Settlers of Catan type oh, thing God. going on. <laughs> This is an overtime question. You were right. <laughs> but I think that it'd be fun to do a 
a rivalry type series that is more than just one game. It's a it's an actual series of of games to just kind of give the fans something a little more entertaining, and it becomes you make uninteresting non rivalry games more interesting. If there's something at stake, like a trophy, I just want a trophy for BYU and and Baylor. I don't even want to get into the naming of that, but okay. I've been trying to sit over here and come up with funny names to rivalries, but I I just can't. I I don't know. I I miss when K State Texas was called the Chisholm Trail rivalry on Wikipedia for a time and then someone said, Yeah, this isn't a real rivalry. They don't call it this and it was the page. <laughs> huh. It was yeah. Like that was like back in like Ron Prince, Texas era. So like mm. it's gone now. Beautiful. Don't worry about it. I mean we could say like with the new school you could you bring in the new schools like BYU and you could just have the parade in the plains between K State and BYU. I don't know why, just like just something that rhymes and, and makes sense. Like, I don't know. It doesn't have to be BYU. I could. just want a new name for the Sunflower Showdown. Oh, God. Didn't we have this conversation? God K-Ned almighty. K-Ned said he didn't like the Governor's Cup. That's what it was, yeah. It's all about K-Ned Which, on here. I just want the battle for <laughs> John Brown's musket. Oh, my God. Anything John Brown related would be amazing. That's what I got. That's all I got. That's it. My answer does does not change. I like Still the governor. I like the governor going into the locker room every year to give a piece of their own silverware. She wasn't the there. She wasn't there. This no, she year. was. She was. She was because they. Sure? Uh, yeah, because K State this year, maybe the last couple of years, but they'll give the guys disposable cameras after wins, and then they'll develop yeah, all the pictures. Yeah. And sure enough, there's Laura Kelly on a disposable. <laughs> Because like the, all the pictures are grainy because they're obviously right. on low quality cameras, but I'm just like, hey, there she was. There all go. right, she was there. Okay, off to a hot start here in the second half. Next question comes from Cole Cats Three. What non conference game, home slash home or neutral site, would you like to see K State schedule in the near future? Is this football? Home and home, yeah, football. Okay. Auburn, bring them back. I loved it. Those two schools are so much alike, the fan bases, and they have to put up with an annoying big brother in their state. There shouldn't have been a six or se- whatever the year gap was. Six or seven year gap? I don't remember. There's I only, think it was a seven year gap. There's only one answer to this question, you guys, mm-hmm. and it's Nebraska. I mean, yeah. that's the only, that is the only logical answer. It makes too much sense. You're already scheduled to play Colorado. You're scheduled to play Missouri this year. You've played Texas A&M in a bowl game recently. You haven't played Nebraska since they left. That I still, to this day, believe that Nebraska and K-State, if they were still in the Big 12, would be a bigger, bigger rivalry than K-State and KU. I firmly believe that. So I know it would be bigger than Nebraska and Iowa. You bring back Nebraska and you have them play here, or if you want to go up there to start, that's fine. That should be – let. I cannot say this enough. That should be a game that – who cares about scheduling Missouri? Who cares about scheduling Arizona? When all that's done, when you play your Power 5 opponent, that should be Nebraska every single year. It just should. It should be like it's, Iowa and Iowa State. That's really easy to say when Nebraska's down because I, I, I wouldn't have said that even 10 years ago. Granted, 10 years ago is right when they left, and of course you don't want to play them. But <laughs> the last game that K-State played, Taylor Martinez ran all over K-State. I don't want anything to do with Nebraska, Nebraska just from that experience. And I and I, I know that there are Nebraska fans that listen to this because there are some crazy people that like Nebraska and like K-State. I don't know how you do it. Those people up there in Northeast Kansas. I don't know. But if you, if you, if you really look at Nebraska football, there's no way they're going to be as good as they were in the 90s. And never happened. It, it, it's, it's done. It's, it's never going to happen again. Like, it will never happen. That's it. Just won't. The conference they play in, the recruits that they get right now, it doesn't matter unless they bring in Nick Saban or they bring in somebody like that. And even if that happens, I just think the odds are stacked against them for them to ever be that good as they were. And quite honestly, if K State wants to take that next step forward, you got to play them. K State's been a better program than they have what for the last fifteen years? No, as a whole, not fifteen. Look, Ten? Uh, set that aside. I Nebraska football was built on being ahead of the curve. Now, this is going to piss off Nebraska fans, but I really don't care. 
They were the first ones to invest heavily in the steroid space, and everyone knows it, and any honest Nebraska fan will tell you that. They were way ahead of the curve in enhancement, and honestly, people caught up. They were also ahead of the curve in taking crappy citizens to play football, and eventually that became a problem. You know, as we see in other sports and other programs, people don't really care if your head coach or your players are pieces of crap if you're winning. So that became a problem when maybe the winning went down. They were also way ahead of the curve in taking horrible students. And this was their problem with the Big 12 and Texas entering. And it never, never eased up. Texas entering said you were going to have to limit what was known as Prop 48s, kids that didn't meet a certain criteria, to one in football. While Nebraska was taking, I don't know how many, but they were taking a lot. And it cut them off from a level of player in terms of quality of player that they could no longer match by also adding in academics. So they were always ahead of the curve in, I don't want to say cutting corners, but finding the cheat code. Not really cheating, steroids were, but finding that extra oomph. They're never going to find that again. And they're certainly never going to find that again in a conference in which they're the fringe outsider, both historically and geographically. Going to the Big Ten doomed them to being average to maybe above average over the rest of the history of their football program. They might have some good seasons. I'm not saying that. Everyone does. But they have put themselves in a horrible position to succeed going forward. Because for everything they bitched about Texas bringing to the conference that made it unfair to them, they went to a conference with even higher standards. Now, make sense of that, Tom Osborne. Explain that to me. You hated Texas, so you're now going to a conference that has higher academic standards, more rules, and now you have no standing as a traditional power in that conference. Good job. At the end of the day... They did more damage to their own program than anyone on the outside could have. Back to the question. Before I said Auburn, I would have said Texas A&M. If we're going to pick a a former Big 12 school to play, I get that they've had... You got some skeletons in your closet. You you make him out to think he's the greatest coach in the world, but you don't understand that he's not the greatest coach in the world. You want to know why people don't want to work with him? Because they don't want to work with him. They've been through... They know. So before you start going on judging other people, just understand what you got going on in yourself. That that was not... That was pretty good, Jimbo. <laughs> We're going to write that down right now. I have so many questions. That was a Jimbo Fisher. Yeah. Interesting. It was pretty good, too. Interesting. It wasn't, but okay. Yeah, okay. Uh, uh, I, I, I would go Texas A&M just because I, I think the more SEC schools you can play, the better. I don't think that Texas A&M, even with their big – new $30 million sliced bread, fresh bread, recruiting class, whatever slice, it is, sliced slice bread, bread yeah. uh, that um, that they're going to be any good. I don't think that – I think 10 wins a season and maybe making the New Year's Six is probably your – yeah, your your ceiling there, but I would like to see more. You know, play Ole Miss, play Auburn, play Arkansas. Uh, Arkansas. Arkansas, absolutely. Would be Arkansas. My, Arkansas would be my choice, but the problem with that is they have pretty good leverage of recruiting in your state. Do you really want to invite yeah. them in? Yeah. Well, you beat them if you can go beat them twice, and there you go. I think I'd probably uh, pick UNLV, but that's just me. <laughs> Yeah. At least it's indoors. Uh, this is what I would do. You'd play a four-game series with UNLV, uh, all four in Vegas. No, actually, you play one on each. That doesn't make sense, Tim. I'll shut up now because I forgot UNLV now plays their games at the, the, the Raiders Stadium. They gave oh, it, really. It's indoors. Yeah, they, they gave it's a up big their, stadium for UNLV. Yeah, and and it bothers me. I. I feel like that was a miscalculation, and I wonder if Eric Harper, now he's AD, won't evaluate, can we get our stadium up to what we need? I remember seeing the the blueprints for a 120-yard screen that was going to run from back of the end zone to the back of the end zone behind the student section. But that was before the Raiders said, hey, Vegas, we're coming. Right. And it's easier to just play there. I just think if you're UNLV, if you want to seriously be a football program, you have a really nice – you have a TCU stadium. Yeah. 
you have a nice on-campus stadium isn't isn't huge. You don't need it. And then if you have a big game, if Alabama comes to you know I me, mean? you move it to the the Raiders Stadium. I don't I don't know, but anyhow, I'm, sold out stadium is number one priority. I think doesn't matter how small it is. And having your logos on the field, yeah. having your logos around the stadium. I mean, I, USF has gone through this so much with playing at the Buccaneers. You got a pirate ship, and you know all the other things going on there. And you're telling red. me you don't like the pirate flag painted white with a USF logo on it? That's just weird. The whole he hates weird. it. Just it just doesn't work. Get out of NFL stadiums, except for big games. This question went from Colin Fitz talking crap on Nebraska to Cole talking about Jimbo Fisher mm-hmm. to us talking to about me cursing to Ryan cursing to Zach talking about a pirate ship. Let's move on. I want to play devil's advocate okay. real quick okay. for Cole. And your point. You're, you're always on the devil's side, aren't you? Uh, yes, I am. But you mentioned Nebraska and how they left and how the grass wasn't always greener. They made that bed. Let them lay in it. Don't let them come back and play K-State. Hmm. I think a lot of people feel that way. Yeah, very good. Next question comes from Big Sam. So has K-State considered trying to maximize concession revenues by opening themselves to general alcohol sales on game days, game days, or are the barriers at football just too high to consider the move? This is the time of the year where we get to talk about alcohol at football games, and I'm so excited. The yearly question. So excited because we're going to be sitting in a press box where we can't drink. Yeah. <laughs> That's I, what Fitz wants you to think. Yeah. <laughs> it's water. Um I think K-State needs to find a way of breaking the halftime departure culture. That's That statement alone is going to piss off a lot of fans. Well, we like going out at halftime and having a beer. And then, yeah, good. Stop doing it. Because you don't co- – if you, if you can commit to me right now that you'll be back in your seat by the start of the third quarter, then okay. But you're not – and that's not feasible or possible. By the time you get up and you go out and you pop a beer – or two, and you get another game on, and then next thing you know, you either don't make it back in or you wander in later on to if the game's good. It's a bad, bad thing that has happened in terms of how it's impacted the environment at Bill Snyder Family Stadium. It makes the second start of the second half so important, which in turn makes the opening part of the game so important. Because if you lose the toss and you're getting the ball, that means you have to start on defense. There is a there's an advantage when that stadium is right. full and the crowd is loud. Right. When it is not loud and K-State's on defense, it makes it a lot easier for that offense to go down the field and score. And let's be honest, K-State sucked at the start of the second half this year. Mm-hmm. I'm not going to say Wait. that a lot of that wasn't attributed to the uh, less than full stadium. I'd be interested to see the statistics on K-State – Starting the game on defense, how oftentimes they don't let teams score as opposed to starting the second half on defense and teams coming out and scoring. I'd be very curious to see that statistic. So if somebody's listening to this and can find a way to do that, put it in the comments thread because I'd be very curious to see. Now, the natural solution to the halftime departure issue is to stop allowing pass outs, you know, that you can leave at halftime and come back in. And while there'll be tremendous pushback among the donors for that, and I get that, they, they like to go have their free beer, and I understand. What do you guys, you're all younger than me, think about getting rid of passouts for students? You're in the stadium on a greatly discounted ticket. Does that afford you the right to leave and, and then expect to be able to come back? I would say stop that. Mm-hmm. I agree. Most I think student sex. I think student tickets should be free with an asterisk. Uh, you pay two hundred or whatever the price is for your ticket, but you know if you on the way out you scan your ticket on the way in. When you leave at the end of the game, you scan your ticket on the way out and you get your money back. Hmm. Wow, I like that. That's really good. Do that. Other idea, and that was after I came up with this one. If you've ever been to a Sporting KC game, you go there. The gates are far outside the stadium, for at least on the on the west side. You have a giant courtyard where you can go that is not part of the seating bowl. The reality of Bill Snyder Family Stadium is without having a lower concourse, and really you can kind of compare Sporting Park on a or Children's Mercy Park on a, a smaller scale. There's only one concourse, mm-hmm. and you got to have somewhere to go if you're gonna 
you know, do anything, I guess. And what I'm saying is West Stadium Center, they should probably take out two or 300 parking spots next to the stadium to create some sort of courtyard, expand the gates so you have a second concourse. You can put beer sales out there, do whatever. The the you got to consider why are fans leaving the stadium at halftime in the first place? One is to get away from people for a little bit. That would solve that solution. Two, you're trying to get a beer or drink or whatever you want to do and probably Three is probably catch the score of some other game going on and watch a little bit of TV and eat some food. So why not expand your gates on and, – and you can do this on the east side too with the the new practice facility. If you can expand the gates where uh, – and, and the surface area of where you need a ticket to get access to and you can put more concessions, you can put more beer vendors – and it, it solves that solution of, hey, I don't need to go to the parking lot because, one, I can get my beer here. Two, I can get away from people for a little bit and breathe. Three, I can check game, other games, do whatever, uh, and not be confined to the stadium where I have bad Wi-Fi on my phone. Another way this is fixed, and all this can be fixed in literally the snap of a fingers, is if you open up the Shamrock Zone and you say there's – these hundreds of TVs, there is a bar where you can buy drinks, there's tables where you can sit down, drink, eat food, watch the game. But when? Open it up. During the game? Yeah. Yeah, that won't happen. I no. mean, it won't happen. No, absolutely not. No. Well, the Shamrock Zone is an exclusive zone for paying customers, and that's how it absolutely should I, be. I think it should be open for basketball. But I understand that it's premium seating and premium privilege for football. I get that. But I'll say this. Uh, I thought I was going to say the most controversial thing on this topic by trying to block pass outs. Zach just took away parking. <laughs> Zach just took away parking. Hate him. Not me. I'm just a, just a lovable old fart. Well, I just gave you two separate daily delivery ideas from my content like comments I'll, there. So like there's I'll remember. the content. Yeah, write them down. Someone, someone remind me. I can write down. What were they? <laughs> Shout out to Dr. Keister. I remember learning this in sports economics. The number of alcohol related incidents, you know, for people just being too drunk or whatever, went down when you had alcohol sales in your stadium. Interesting. So that people aren't, you know, going and blacking out, getting as drunk as they can, tailgating Power so that drinking. they can. Yeah. Plus, it's I mean, when you look expensive. at when you look at like the PGA, mm-hmm. they were charging nineteen bucks for a beer. Mm-hmm. Granted, they were twenty five ounce beers, but you know, and you divide that by two, and it seems a little more in line with what you know a twelve ounce beer at a sporting event would be. But you know, you're going to maximize if you there's a certain number that you can maximize the amount of profit. And minimize the number of beer sales and and potential agree. health problems. That's actually that's a really smart plan by them to sell bigger beers, less trips, less you know lines. You're you're only going to the tap handles once for what is essentially two beers at once. Right. I like it. I like it a lot. You know that's why a big reason why concessions are so expensive is because lines would be so flipping long right. if they were cheaper. Yeah, you're just trying to. Make the most money you can with... Yeah. I get it. Last question of the podcast comes from SnareCat3. Does the decrease in student ticket sales translate to future issues with alumni donations? There's been a decrease in student ticket sales? Just at least attendance. You look at... You look at... At least basketball and football. I would would venture to guess that some of the bigger donors um, weren't necessarily loyal attendees. I mean, I, I just get the feeling that you get to a point in your life where either college sports are going to be a priority or not. And it's not really tied to your campus experience as much. I think maybe it does increase the chances. But also, I, I think a lot of people view going to games as a student experience and then they move on. I think it's more the decrease in enrollees right. than it point. is about attendance at games. I think that's a problem. That's the bigger problem. If you're. If you were at 25,000 students five years ago or whatever it was, you know, back when I was a student and you're down to close to 20 or, you know, whatever it was, I don't think it's truly a 5,000 student gap, but it's still significant from a percentage standpoint of, of how, how many fewer students are here. That's going to translate a lot more, I think, in, 
in donations to the university, athletics, whatever, you know, as a whole is going to be down just because there's that fewer people that uh, a fewer amount of students that are, are going to be invested in the community, in the university for them to want to give I, their money to. I would be interested to know what the percentages at the peak of K-State under John Weefald and about it, um, enrollment. What the percentage was in-state, out-of-state, international students. Because my sense is now they've come to realize that there's more money to be had with out-of-state and international students. And they're leaning on those to prop up the budget. But in the long term, that might come back to haunt you with donations. Because if you're more tied to the state of Kansas, whether you continue to live here or not. But if you grew up in Great Bend and you go to Kansas State, and then you go to Texas for your career, you're going to still have that feeling for home. Right. So I think that might be a bigger impact than anything else. Is that it? That's it? That's, That's it. it. That's it. That was, guys, you actually Did kicked some it? ass. Did we do it? Yeah, it was It was delightful. That's all I got to say. It was almost as delightful as the fridge wholesale liquor. That's it for the podcast. Make sure you tune in for the overtime which we're going to record right now so we're going to be funny i hope boy i hope we're funny thank you for listening to the power cat podcast make sure you're subscribing to our show at apple spotify amazon or wherever you get your podcasts power cat podcast all rights reserved go powercat.com.